Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Melissa Robman joined me on the podcast today to share her story behind the pink ribbon. Melissa was diagnosed with breast cancer in September 2018 at the age of 39. She shared how she found her cancer, the treatments, and where she found support. Melissa feels that she has gone through cancer for a reason and believes that if we have to go through cancer, we might as well make lemonade from lemons. Take a listen in to Melissa's story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Melissa Robman. She was diagnosed in September of 2018 at the age of 39. She was just two months from her 40th birthday. She had stage two invasive ductal carcinoma. Thank you, Melissa, for being a part of the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So tell me a little bit about your story. I mean, you were just on that cusp of you know, turning 40, which is usually the time frame when people start getting mammograms. So were you getting mammograms or, you know, were you doing self-exams or, you know, what, what kind of started the process for you? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I had not yet been having mammograms because there's no history of uh, breast cancer in my family. So I was going to be starting at the age of 40 um, doing the regular mammograms. What happened was um, how I found it, we had adopted a little dog, a terrier, about two weeks before. And from the minute we got her, she would climb up on me and her, she would put her paw right on this one particular spot of my breast. And I would, you know, she'd sniff my face or whatever, and I'd push her down. And she did this for two weeks straight. And her paw went to the same spot every time. Oh, wow. And after about two weeks, I it started to get a little tender where she was constantly putting her, her little paws. And so I, I just touched and I was like, oh, there's something there that wasn't there before. I, I don't remember when the last time was. I wasn't good about doing regular self-exams. 
Um, so I don't know how long it had been there. I'd seen my gynecologist for a regular checkup probably nine or 10 months before, and she hadn't found anything abnormal. So um, after that, I called the doctor to set up an appointment. Uh, she checked it out and said, we think you should get a mammogram. And so that's how that came about. Wow. So it was your first mammogram. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that. Totally relate to that. So um, you go for the mammogram. First of all, I'm glad that, um, at least from the way it sounds, there wasn't any hesitation. Um, you know, sometimes when women are younger, there's a little bit of hesitation with sending them for a mammogram or anything that's diagnostic to suggest mm -hmm. that it might be breast cancer. So I'm glad that, you know, your doctor at least didn't sound as though she was hesitant. Um, Me too. To for that. <laughs> yeah, because so yeah. many, so many people have that experience where they really just have to, you know, kind of keep pushing and pushing, um, you know, to get those things done. And then it does still turn out to be breast cancer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so, so you go and you do the the mammogram. And then um, from there, kind of walk me through what what took place for you next. Yeah, so that was a that was a long day. I was there for about four and a half hours, because they did the mammogram didn't like what they saw. So they wanted to do an ultrasound. And then they didn't like what they saw. So they wanted to do a biopsy. And then they wanted to do another mammogram because they'd put a little pin in it to, you know, see where it was at. And that whole process took about four, four and a half hours. So in retrospect, I'm really happy and, and glad that they did it all at once because I would have hated having to go back multiple times. Uh, but it was a really long, kind of scary process. Like at first I thought they were just going to check me out and say, ah, you're you're young, you've got, I don't know what it would be, but not cancer. You can go home and enjoy the rest of your day. And it turned into one thing after another, after another. And by the time I left, I was, I was shaking. I was pretty close to tears and just really nervous about what I was going to find out. Yeah. So up to this point, had you, did cancer cross your mind? Did anybody say anything to you about cancer? I mean, was it was it something? Yeah. That, okay. That was my concern from the beginning. Um, like I said, I, I had no reason to think that it would be cancer, but something in my gut was just letting me know it, it, something wasn't right. I didn't think it was nothing. Uh, I wouldn't say I was completely sure it was cancer, but I definitely felt like it wasn't something that was going to go away on its own. Okay. And then did you have somebody that was with you or did you go to that appointment alone? No, I went to that appointment alone. Yeah. And I hear that a lot too, where, you know, women end up going, you know, we think oh, it's just a mammogram, you know, mm -hmm. and so I can go and do a mammogram by myself. No problem. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. for me, it was different because it was in steps, you know, so I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, I'm grateful that it was all in the same day, but at the same time, it was a lot. So yeah. for me, it was mammogram first and then ultrasound and then biopsy all at different points in time. Okay. So I had, there were points where I was able to go by myself, but then once it got to the biopsy, then that's the point where I had to have somebody with me. They, it was mm -hmm. not even an option. Um, mm. So yeah, I think about people who, you know, kind of like you, where it is just one thing after another in the same day and you're alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I yeah. honestly, I can't imagine that. I guess at first I didn't really think much of it. And then by the time the biopsy was done, 
that's when I was starting to get really nervous and it was uncomfortable too. I mean, you've had a biopsy. It doesn't feel lovely. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's my so, trigger. The biopsy yeah. is my trigger. <laughs> <laughs> but I think by the end of it, I was emotionally and mentally drained and um, nervous about what was going to come next. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. how long before um, you know, you got the phone call or you were asked to come into the office. Um, how long was it between the biopsy and that um, notification? Yeah, it was only two days okay. um, and they did it by a phone call. So, um, which actually, I, I mean, I listened to your other podcasts where some people say they got to go into the doctor and that was preferred. For me, I think if somebody would have called or told me to come back in, I think I, I would have just panicked. So it was better to know, in my opinion, over the phone, I would have rather heard what they had to say and and figure out what I was going to start doing immediately. Right. So it didn't it didn't bother me too much that they, that they told me over the phone, uh, but it was definitely a little bit of a shock. But it was two days later. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's, for me, I feel like there should be a box <laughs> on yeah. the forms that you fill out that say, <laughs> you know, how would you like to be notified of mm-hmm. your test results? I agree. You know, um, yeah, because everybody's different. You know, everybody's, you know, everybody has a different kind of support system around them. And some people don't have a support system around them. And so mm-hmm. for for some people, it might be important to, that they go in um, to see the doctor and have that information delivered there. You know, some people don't want to get that phone call at work. Some people don't want to get that phone call while they're driving home mm-hmm. from work, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it really should be, you know, a, a choice made by the patient and not necessarily by anybody else. Yeah. I, I agree with you a hundred percent on that. Yeah. So, so then do you have a history of, um, you know, a family history of cancer at all? Uh, There's been different types of cancer in my, in my family, colon cancer, uh, skin cancer, but nothing, no breast or prostate or anything like that. Okay. So did they request that you do the genetic testing or no? It was, uh, ultimately, I did have the genetic testing done. It was brought up to me during my first appointment with my surgeon. And at that point, I was like, I just want to deal with what I'm dealing with now, this cancer. And then let's, after that, I can be tested. I just want to get it out. I want to get it taken care of, get it out of me, and then I'll do whatever tests you want to do. So ultimately, they did do the testing, and it was negative. Okay, got it. So, you know, you do the... Um, biopsy, you get the phone call, and then you obviously go in. Um, what what kind of treatment, what were they recommending for you in terms of treatment? Well, initially, it sounded very, I don't want to say simple, because I guess nothing about it is simple. But initially, it sounded like a, a best case scenario, they were planning to do just a lumpectomy with radiation following it. Uh, But before they ultimately decided on that, they said, let's have you do an MRI just to make sure that there's nothing else there and that we're not missing anything. So then I went back and did an MRI and they found all these little spots that they said, it's probably not anything, but we want to check it out to be sure. So after the MRI, then I went back, got another ultrasound, got two more biopsies, got another mammogram. (laughs) And it turned out that everything they saw on the MRI was cancer. So it was a good thing, I guess, that I had it done. 
but it was so spread out amongst my breasts that at that point, the doctor said, we're going to have to do a mastectomy because I'm a relatively small build. I have a very small, I was like an A cup and there was no way for them to take out the cancer and still have anything salvageable there. Right. Yeah. I had that kind of same experience where I had Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, the way I can, um, kind of, I guess maybe use an analogy a little bit is, you know, I think about like having a little bit of glitter in my hand and then like blowing that glitter and it just kind of lands in all these different spots. Right. You know, that's kind of the way that I described my cancer um, was because I had that tumor, but then there were so many different little specks of cancer that were all around that it just was totally impossible to preserve anything. Um, Mm -hmm. So did you end up doing a unilateral mastectomy or did you opt for a bilateral? I did. I just did a unilateral. Um, The other one, I talked with my surgeon in great length about the odds of anything coming into the other one or, or growing in the future. And it seems like the odds are, are quite low now in retrospect, I'm kind of like, maybe I should have just done both at the same time. But like I said, my mentality was kind of just get it out. I just want to do what's, what's quickest and what's going to get it out. And, and so that was ultimately what I decided right. on was the unilateral. Yeah. Well, and it's really easy for us to sit on this side of things and say, Oh, you know, well, I would have done this, you know, oh, instead. Absolutely. Um, you know, but Really, we just do the best that we can with what we have at that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, it is what it is, I suppose. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, like you just, you we can't go back and change it, um, mm-hmm. you know, at this point. But yeah. so did you then opt for reconstruction? Did you stay flat? Um, what did you do with that? Yeah, initially, I remember that appointment because I was pretty calm up until that time. And then it seemed like everything was was starting to kind of cave in on me. And at first I was like, no, just I'll, I'll be flat. I just want to get it taken care of. Just do whatever's going to get me back to work and back to my life as quick as possible. And my surgeon, whom I love, said, uh, I, I understand what you're saying, but I highly recommend that you at least get all your options from somebody first um, before you make this decision because you're still young. You've got the rest of your life to live. You may in the future have wished that you would have done something differently. So I met with the plastic surgeon uh, and he went over all of my options and we decided to put an expander in at the time of the mastectomy. And then once I was through treatment, we would start doing fat grafting to rebuild um, that the breast area with only my fat tissue. I didn't want to do an implant of any type. So we're, I'm in the middle of the reconstructive process right now. Okay. Uh, it's being done with fat. Okay. Yeah. I mean that, and so, you know, I, I'm not familiar, familiar with that, um, where they would actually put an expander in and use, still use the fat grafting. So how does that work? So they put the expander in because they knew I was going to have radiation and that the skin and that whole area was going to kind of uh, tighten up. Sure. And so that's why they put the expander in, as far as I understand, to kind of hold the place so that when we were ready to do the reconstruction, uh, they had somewhere to put the fat. Otherwise, everything would have kind of squeezed up. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. I had radiation, so I know. (laughs) Um, 
So then where are they taking the fat from? And like, are, are they taking it in small bits and pieces? I've had three, three of those surgeries so far. The first time they took it from my stomach, the second time they took it from my back, and then the last time they took it from like my inner thighs. Uh, I, a pretty thin person anyway, so they've had to do it in little pieces. Otherwise, they said the recovery would be really difficult. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I, um, I was very opposed to having implants when I went in, uh, but I was not a candidate um, for, you know, having any kind of grafting done. You know, they oh, okay. weren't able to pull any tissue. So, you know, one of the things that you had said earlier kind of made me think like, how is this even possible for her? Because I know she talked about being small framed and, mm -hmm. you know, um, so it's kind of interesting that, you know, they're still able to kind of pull the, the fat from those specific areas to, you know, kind of recreate that breast. So yeah. what, yeah, what do you have left at this point? I mean, are, are there any other graphs that have to be done or, you know? Yeah, probably because I'm not, I'm not quite even okay. because I guess when, when you do this, after having had radiation, my body is not going to keep all of the fat that the doctor moves up there. So a lot of it's getting reabsorbed and therefore what it looks like when he does the surgery a couple weeks later after the swelling and everything starts to go down, we end up seeing what I'm really left with. Okay. So I'm probably going to have one, if not two more uh, surgeries in order to be able to match the other side. Okay. And at this point, the expander is gone. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. that came out That came out during the first, the first reconstructive one. surgery. Got mm -hmm. it. Okay. So are there any um, limitations or anything that you have experienced so far as a result of having any of the fat removed from? I mean, you've had, you know, three different locations at this point. So, mm -hmm. you know, I always think about the abs, you know, our core, um, you know, kind of holding us up and then your back. Um, you know, and then you said the inner thigh. So have you experienced any, you know, side effects or any kind of limitations from any of that? Yeah, the the recovery from each of those was different. I think probably the back was the most difficult. Uh, oddly enough, I thought it would have been the stomach. But no, really, it's, you know, takes maybe four weeks to heal. And then after that, I'm able to get back to my regular workout regimen and I'm able to do pretty much what I was before, but it takes about four weeks. Um, but now I'm, you know, past it far enough that it's not affecting my ability to exercise or to stretch or anything like that. So oh, good. I haven't had any adverse effects long-term. Oh, good. Good. So mm -hmm. did they use, I'm assuming that they did not use like your whole latissimus muscle. No. Okay. No, it's literally only fat. So okay. they're doing essentially liposuction. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I know um, myself and several others, uh, we had the entire latissimus muscle pulled off, which is, you know, very different. Um, you know, it's, it's the impact of it is beyond what I even thought <laughs> um, at the time of making the decision. Um, you know, mm -hmm. so I was just kind of curious uh, in terms of, I know what my limitations are if you would experience any of those same things. So I'm glad yeah. that you're not. 
I remember him going over that as an option when we were in our initial discussion about what I could do. And it just, that sounded like too much to me. So good for you for being able to go through that. (laughs) (laughs) I would not recommend it. I don't think I could have done it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I certainly would not recommend it if, you know, again, it's that hindsight, you know, if I knew Mm -hmm. uh, back then what I know now, I certainly would not have opted for it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but again, you know, it is what it is. I can't go back and change it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so you did the radiation. Did you also have to do chemotherapy? Yes, I did chemo first and then the radiation was after chemo. Okay. And um, how was chemo for you? Uh, Chemo was the one thing I did not want to do. I, it was when I heard you have cancer, initially I thought, I just don't want to have chemo. I don't want to lose my hair. I don't want to look like a cancer patient. And when I found out after the surgery, when they removed everything, they took out a couple lymph nodes and initially they looked clean, but after closer inspection, they did find a tiny amount of cancer in the sentinel load. So they decided that I should do chemo, and uh, that was a really low day for me because I did, like I said, I I did not want to do chemo. I was very much against it, Um, but I ended up doing four sessions of it three weeks apart. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I I wasn't sick. It was a little nauseous, but I wasn't sick like you see in the movies. Um, I I decided to do what I could to keep my hair. So I used cold caps during my treatment to try to preserve my hair because like I said before, I wanted to kind of look as normal as possible while I was going through everything. Uh, So that was a little bit different. It was a little bit of a learning curve with that in addition to the, the whole chemo thing as well. But it was one way that I could kind of have a little bit of control over what was going on in my life at that time. I think when I look back on it, it's like that was my way of, of having some kind of control. You can take everything else. You can, you can put these drugs into my body, but you're not going to take my hair without a fight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we all have to, there's so much loss of control um, Mm -hmm. when you are diagnosed with cancer that I, you know, I think people in different ways find, some way to control some aspect, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, for one person, it might be their hair for somebody else. It might be something totally different, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's okay. So because you're, the cancer is, um, estrogen and progesterone positive, are you taking any kind of hormone therapy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm on tamoxifen now. Okay. And, um, I mean, at this point you'd be kind of not even close to two years in on that, um, depending on when you started. Right. I've been taking the tamoxifen for about a year because okay. that started after radiation was finished. Okay. And are they, is there any recommendation at all in terms of, um, you know, having a hysterectomy or oophorectomy? Has that been anything that they've talked about? They talked about it when we initially did the genetic testing because they said if that was positive, then I would have a higher chance of um, developing ovarian cancer or uterine cancer. I can't remember exactly which one, uh, but because that came back as negative, it was not something that we've discussed again. And okay. I haven't thought too much about it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine, um, you know, again, every, 
everybody's story is so different. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the treatment for one person is different from the treatment for the next person. And so Mm -hmm. I would imagine that they probably wouldn't be pushing you necessarily to have that, um, you know, but sometimes I've had people say that they have without the genetic mutation. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, So I just never know. so, you know, kind of at this point, I mean, you're you're really genuinely still so early on in your cancer journey or, you know, this path, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you have used as tools to, you know, really kind of help you get through this? Uh, when I was going through treatment, I was part of a support group. Uh, there was a, there's a cancer support community very close to me and I had never heard of them before. And I found out about them through my doctor and the programs that they offer and the support groups and everything like that. So the support group that I went to was specifically for breast cancer patients. And it was hugely beneficial having other people that were going through something similar to what I was. Like you said, everybody's story is different. Everybody's journey is different, but it was really nice to be able to meet other women who were in the same stages of treatment or uh, the process as I was. Uh, so that was something I, I relied on a lot. I tried to stay off the internet. Uh, initially, I was finding some... <laughs> it could be some, a deep, dark hole. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I was finding some things that sounded positive. And then once I'd look at them, somebody would be like, oh, yeah, that's all fine and great. But mine came back after 12 years. And I was like, I don't want to be thinking about this. So when I initially started listening to your podcast, I was a little bit nervous because I didn't want necessarily to hear too much negative stuff, but yours, I haven't, everything about your podcast, I wish I'd have known when I was going through treatment because it's been really helpful hearing. Yeah. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm glad to hear Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm, my husband uh, has been with me through we, every, every step. He was the one that went to all the chemos with me, changed my cold caps, um, whatever. He went to all the appointments with me, except for the first one when I was uh, doing the mammogram and everything. So he's been with me through everything, which has been really, really helpful. Yeah. Well, and I think that's important is, you know, just finding that support system wherever it is. You know, it's mm-hmm. maybe it is a support group, maybe it's an in-person support group, maybe it's online, um, mm-hmm. you know, and just finding those people that you can lean into, um, you know, that can kind of support you. And, and, you know, I always said, you know, the people, I really depend on people, um, you know, to kind of hold my hand through it, um, you know, to push me forward when I wasn't really sure about things. And even sometimes, not literally, but, you know, kind of pick me up and carry me through because without them, I don't know, you know, I definitely would not have gotten through it the way that I did. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Absolutely. Yeah. So any, um, any other pieces of advice or anything you would have to offer to any of our listeners? Um, (laughs) I, I think the only thing that that really stands out to me is just you're stronger than you think you are. Because initially when I was diagnosed, I was like, there's no way I can do this. There's, there's no way I can go through. I don't even know why I thought that, but I just, it just didn't seem to me like something that I could take on. And ultimately you can, you just put your head down and, and you move forward and you make the decisions that you think are best for you at the time. And, kind of stand by them and you'll get to the other side of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it's important too that, you know, those of us who have come before, um, those who are being diagnosed now or mm-hmm. will be diagnosed, um, are in, you know, we're important to kind of stay not necessarily overly active in the community mm-hmm. of breast cancer, but to be here so that others can see that they can make it through, you know, that there is yeah. an other side to this. Reality is some people don't make it through, but there are many of us who are, um, mm-hmm. you know, and we have to kind of be that beacon of light, if you will, for those mm-hmm. who will be diagnosed, um, you know, in the future. So yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. It was, it, it seems like I went through it for some reason. And so I'm still trying to figure out, I, I love what you've done with your experience and how you've turned it into this podcast so that other women can, and I guess men too, we've, I think you've had a couple men on the mm-hmm. show. But so that other people, they, they know they're not alone. I think it's, it's really great what you've done with it. And so I think that, you know, if we had to go through this, we might as well turn lemonade from lemons and <laughs> try to it. find some positive in it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. I am beyond grateful that you have found um, value in the podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you reached out to be a part of the podcast And, you know, I know that your story is going to help, you know, our listeners as well. So, um, you know, I appreciate your time and, and the conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. I appreciate being a part of it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.